Everybody's working. With that time, Jersey. The NFL Draft is now less than two weeks away as we record this latest edition of the Time Czars podcast, and the Kansas City Chiefs haven't done a whole lot since the last show that we put on tape, so to speak. Uh, not a lot has changed for the Chiefs. Some things have changed for some former Chiefs, a previously rumored potential Chief, uh, and a couple other players as well that have made their moves around the NFL, but most of our focus is now shifting to the 17,000 draft picks the Chiefs currently have under their belt coming up here in a couple of weeks, and uh, we're going to talk about everything within that range. I'm Joshua Briscoe here with Seth Kaiser, uh, Nate Taylor under the weather today. We got a, Not an IR situation, I don't think, Nate. Uh, for Nate, I, I think it's a... Um, I think I think it's just a, a an inactive day of you go man we game time decision all that he stretched um, he he was, yeah. he was on the field jogging the fans got yep. excited and then you know just something didn't feel quite right um, and you know you can't take a risk right now right now this is not the time to be taking risks with your health you know this that's right these aren't the playoffs. It's one of those things where, you know, even if if it would have been a Monday night game instead of a Thursday night game, maybe he could have gone. But, you know, that's the uh, that's the space that we're, we're in right now. I'm going to I'm going to cite some of Nate's recent work up in the athletic as he is fully cannonballed into the draft side of things. Uh, of course, uh, Seth, you have gone deep into the wide receiver class already and still continuing to do so up in the Chief in the North newsletter. So uh, a lot of draft stuff that we can talk about. Lots from Nate, lots from you. Uh, I also, you mentioned before the show, and then I saw you tweet earlier as well, so this has already become public, that you slept until 11 a.m. today, and I, I'm just curious the last time you did that. I, um, healthy? Like, I, I can't think <laughs> yeah. of a time. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's Good Friday, so, so my county takes, uh, takes, takes a holiday because, you know, we're not a bunch of pagan heathens like the rest of you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, Those ha- people who would dare to work on this holiest of day. Uh, we are doing the show. Okay, never mind. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. We, wait, hold uh, on. Are look, we pagans? Look, I don't need someone, and I've told you this before, Josh, I don't need someone to point out my blatant hypocrisy. <laughs> Sorry. I would just as soon ignore it. Thank you very yeah. much. It's um, just that I love doing it so much, specifically <laughs> to you. It's that like it's a- like... It's really unthought. It's very selfish of you to ask me to stop doing that. <laughs> it's like a, it's like a hobby, honestly. Yeah. Um, but no, hey, happy Good Friday to to those those who observe and those who who don't DM me, and I'll talk you into it. Oh um, my goodness! <laughs> All right, um, we got. So, I miss I miss Nate. Yep, yep. That, no, you knew that was coming. So yeah, I, I I slept in. Like I, I actually got woken up at like six this morning by one of my kids telling me the other one of my kids is in the bathroom and needs help, which is not the way you want to get woken up. No. Um, and so like when you got to help a five-year-old in the bathroom at six in the morning, it's not great, but it is what it is. You, you do what you can. And then he was up again at like seven and needed a little help. And I got a bath going for him. And then, and then I, we, yeah, it was just a whole deal. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then jazz tagged in eventually. And I went back to sleep thinking that I was going to get up at like nine. And I told jazz when I got the day off, um, I'm going to take half the day. I'll be present. I'll kind of help you guys around the house. And then I'll, I'm going to work the second half of the day. And then I just, that, that was a bald faced lie. <laughs> and so, and so here we are working. I'm keeping my word on that part. Uh, the rest, I don't know. I like did a few dishes before I left. I helped for like 10 wow. minutes. Husband of the year. Dang. You want you want a, you want a little trophy? <laughs> for doing things that I'm supposed to do. I feel like there's a, a great, dishes. I feel like there's a great comedic routine here that might or might not get someone slapped in the face. <laughs> 
doing. That's how we're doing things now. Uh, well, look, I'm just glad that I'm just glad that you're rested and and really locked in here because um, I'm certainly not going to pull the the weight of not having Nate on this episode. And so mm. if if you because like usually I feel like you do a great job that I assume is you know Seth Kaiser on three and a half hours of sleep. It, on whatever rest you got today, like I'm expecting you to solve football for me. Like I, you're gonna, by the end of this, you're going to be like, and here's how the Chiefs fundamentally replaced Tyreek Hill for a third of the cost. It's like, oh wow, you you figured it out. Yeah, boy, that would be something. Um, I, you know, well, you know what? There's a lot I could say about doing that, but my hope is to at least solve one thing today, and we'll just kind of figure out what that thing is. Maybe at the end of the show, like, hey, we did solve that. Love it. Okay. Well, let's do that. Let's, uh, like I said, so let's, let's start with the, the newsy stuff here, um, or, or the, the veterans moving around because there, there's been a little bit of news on, on three fronts. And I tweeted this, this part out half jokingly yesterday, um, and then realized that it wasn't quite half joking. It was a little bit like a third joking, maybe mostly half serious. Sammy Watkins was visiting with the Green Bay Packers. I tweeted, honestly, I've reached the point of the NFL offseason where I have had the full thought of, you know, a Sammy Watkins reunion might actually kind of make some sense. And then like an hour later, he he was signing a deal with the with the Packers one year worth up to four million dollars. I I want to start with Sammy Watkins because I feel like people have have really swung along uh, a very heavy pendulum in the other direction of how they felt about Sammy Watkins once upon a time. Like I know that he was not healthy very often. I would, I would sign Sammy Watkins to this deal that presumably has some incentives by the words up to. And if Sammy Watkins was going to like play eight games and then maybe you get him for the playoffs, there's a price that that's actually useful for, particularly in the current state of the Chiefs offense. I, I kind of forgot that he was a free agent until that that news popped up yesterday. And uh, I don't know. I, I'm almost a little surprised that there was not any Chiefs Sammy Watkins rumblings before before everything happened yesterday. And I also want people to, to appreciate Sammy Watkins. It rubs me the wrong way. You know, Sammy Watkins is a really good example of how fast life comes at you in the sports world. Mm -hmm. I mean, guys basically go from very valued to not valued in the space of a single season. Yeah. And that's just, that's just how it is in the sports world. And it's not fair, but it is what it is. And especially when guys struggle with health mm -hmm. and things that we don't generally see, that's going to be just how it is. He was Sammy Watkins. There, there's a few things that can be true. And one thing that I would say is it almost is more applicable to Sammy than Frank Clark, who's the guy that almost always gets this argument made about him. It can be simultaneously true that Sammy Watkins played a, a very important role in the first Chiefs Super Bowl in 50 years mm -hmm. and that his signing was not an overall success. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's where people, people, it's tough to be, have two things be true at the same time that are somewhat contradictory to one another. Cause then what people want to do is they want to have all the arguments they've had about a bunch of corollary issues. It's like, if you point out, Oh, I don't know a statistic about Travis Kelsey. <laughs> <laughs> Rob Gronkowski fans want to have a Rob Gronkowski legitimate argument as the greatest of all time. I think Travis Kelsey has a legitimate argument as the greatest of all time. I think those two and Tony G are the only three in that discussion. All due respect to Shannon Sharp didn't do it as long. Right. Mm -hmm. um, 
Or at the well, we don't need to get into. That. I have Antonio Gates nightmares, but that's more of a product of my age when Antonio Gates was destroying the football team that I loved. And then even once he was like, you know, he was like 42 and Eric Berry, even once he became really good in coverage, yeah. it was except against Antonio Gates. He yes. could not cover that guy. If, if, <laughs> if the if the Chargers signed Antonio Gates to like a like a one day deal to retire formally or whatever, I would be terrified that it was actually like a one year vet minimum deal just for two games a year against the Chiefs. Justin Herbert would yeah. throw four touchdowns to him in two games. I, I completely agree. He did not go silently into the night that guy. So with, with Kelsey, what happens is you, if you mention him, and this happens a lot online, I, I want people to, I'm going to solve, here's what we're going to solve. I'm going to solve your issues online, <laughs> help you understand why Twitter is horrible. And it is like, yeah. especially man, people are just getting crabbier and crabbier. Like I kind of, no, we're not shut up. <laughs> are you making a statement about the fundamental state of society as opposed to back in the 1950s when Judeo-Christian values were, well, you know what I mean? Like, I, idiot. it's like, no, I'm not saying any of that. Oh, okay. Saying people seem a little crabbier. Yeah. Sorry, idiot. I... <laughs> and that's bad. where what ends up happening. We, we talked about this before. People tend to like Netflix aggregate opinions. It's like, well, you like this. So you must like this. Mm. And Netflix is really good at it. That's how they get you to watch show after show. Um, the problem online is if you make a statement about Travis Kelsey, people assume that you are also making an argument as to why he's the greatest of all time. When what you're really doing in that moment is, wow, this is incredible. Now, could that be used as a case for a certain argument? Sure. Yeah. That doesn't mean it is. So you don't need to have every argument all at once. And that's what happens, I think, with Sammy Watkins. When people hear Sammy Watkins name and they hear like the plus side to the things that he did, because I mean, you know, icing the game against the Titans. Yep. Um. The the you know, working Cooking over Richard, Richard Sherman. Sherman. Yep. Yep. That these things mattered, and also altering coverages in both those games, making a few other big plays. These are things that matter. But if you make that argument, people assume that you're making an argument as to why it was a great signing. Mm -hmm. But you'll note that's not what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And so that's I think that's part of the problem is we tend to Netflix aggregate all our arguments. And I think it was you that first framed it that way to me. And I thought that was awesome. Maybe maybe I said it to you. I don't remember. One of us said it to one of us, and it was genius. If I said it, it was genius. If you said it, it's fine. Yeah, it was okay. Um, so, no, with Watkins, people are out on him very quickly. And I think a big part of that is he looked pretty cooked in, in his last season with the Chiefs in 2020. Mm -hmm. Even when he was playing, he wasn't as explosive. He 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 played much more like Byron Pringle than any kind of peak Sammy Watkins. And honestly, I think Pringle was a little more productive last year. Mm -hmm. And at least he generally stayed healthy. And so, yeah, that turns people off because they paid a ton of money for Watkins. But I would just say of the two, like, you know, the two of the big Veach um, controversial moves mm -hmm. in Watkins and Clark, which as people take a big gulp thinking about the fact that they're kind of resetting, like, wow, they need to make some big moves. Yeah. They need those to work out well. Yeah. Um, I think Watkins probably overall was more impactful than Clark. Oh, I, yeah. I think I think it's hard to argue the opposite. I'm sure somebody will, but uh, I would I would have said that like with a with a bullet probably. Um, also partially because he has the advantage of being someone who is directly receiving the football from Patrick Mahomes. So you could probably sure. you could probably expand some like. Um, some intangible stuff even there of what it did for Mahomes' development, but even just the, the nuts and bolts of it, I would absolutely agree with you on that. Um, so anyway, he, he's going to be a Packer this year. We'll see how many games that's for. We'll see what the Packers do around him, but I thought that was at least interesting. Yeah. And then Stefan Gilmore signs with the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, cool. he, he was a name that had been thrown around here a little bit and, and we talked about him some. 
the thing for me on Gilmore is that he wouldn't be a guy you would have ever really connected to the Chiefs in the current, in the way they have built their roster as of late, not just because he's a, an expensive corner, but also because he's older than most of the guys they're giving out like real legit deals to right now. They're younger guys. Yep. But right. But the reason that he did make sense is because you look right uh, clearly right now, the Chiefs have three holes that are far and away the biggest ones to fill, which is at, in some order edge corner and wide receiver and there is not a difference making edge or receiver on the board right now and in free agency Stefan Gilmore was out there like that would have been a needle mover in terms of what the Chiefs have to fulfill but now that that he is an indie and I'll also go ahead and, and wrap in the idea that Melvin Ingram had a visit with the Dolphins I have a thought on that that I'll save until after you can fire <coughs> off on those two guys but um, sure. there's not going to be a a pre-draft savior at at corner. Uh, James Bradbury as a trade option still is like the only. That seems like the only move out there right now. Uh, but but Gilmore to Indy and then Melvin Ingram has a visit with the Dolphins. And I can honestly say that I can understand why people are panicking. <laughs> yeah, and and you know people want to talk about well you know the Chiefs' mo has been to sign younger players. That's true to an extent. Um, I get that. You know, when they traded for Frank Clark, he was 25. Isn't yep. that wild? He's like 28, 29 right now. Yep. It's not like he is. He should be at his absolute apex as a player, but we are not counting on him to provide high level play. Maybe not even average play next year. That's just how that trades worked out it yep. is what it is. Yep. Um, they, their MO though, the last few seasons has been to sign some veteran help to fill in gaps prior to the draft. And that's where I think we're seeing something a little different this year. Mm-hmm. I think their MO under Veach from, you know, 2018 forward or 2000. Yeah. 18 forward. That has been his MO has been to try to fill in gaps. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with, rather than trying to fill those gaps with draft picks And the problem with trying to fill in gaps with draft picks is that it's hard to hit on draft picks. It's even harder to hit on draft picks in a way that they play well their first year. Yeah. If if you can get two draft picks that play very well their first year, you're doing well. And then if two more of those guys play well subsequent years, you've killed that draft. That's just the numbers. And you can disagree with me if you want. I mean, figure out what GM you think drafts better than everyone else. If he's been doing it for longer than like five or to seven years, then go back and look at his drafts. Yep. And see what you see. Yep. Um, There's, there's a larger than 50% miss rate. That's just how it is. I mean, every year you have what's, man, I'm not going to know this. What's like, you know, roughly 34 times seven. It's, a you know, you get roughly 230 players coming into the league every year. And guess what? A lot of the same dudes are starting the next year. 238. Right. But you end up with uh, extra picks. I did. I just did. Tw- I just did 34 times seven. And I just said 238 oh, yeah. oh, sure. just because I wanted it to sound like I knew the answer, but actually I just typed it into my Google search bar. That was awesome. Well done you. Thanks. I just wanted to click um, the numbers. And so you, I can see why people are panicking though. And like Gilmore, to me, it's not so much Gilmore, the player himself, although he's a good corner and could have really helped them. Mm -hmm. It's what he represents. The fact that 
when I wrote a few weeks back, like what would I would do if I were Brett Veach resetting and heading to the draft, mm-hmm. I wrote about signing Gilmore or trading for Bradbury, then signing Ingram, signing Akeem Hicks, maybe signing like Calius Campbell, who signed for a pretty reasonable deal, honestly. <sighs> and doing those things to where you go into the draft with needs, but you're not desperate. Yeah. And right now, the defensive roster is missing a starting caliber edge rusher, is weak-ish at the other starting caliber, at the other edge rush, doesn't have a second interior pass rusher that's proven. Maybe the young guys step up, but you can say that about literally every player on every team. Correct. Um, other than old players, of course. Um, they they are missing a third starting corner and arguably a number one guy because last year, Traverius Ward was the number one guy. And the year before that, Rashad Breeland was the number one guy. Yep. Neither of them are on the team. They're, they've got... Of, you know, a couple guys they brought in to be the third safety in the third corner or the third linebacker. But Bush and Carter, neither of them were needle movers on their old team. Yep. There's, I mean, and, and that that's really like cornerback and defensive end are linchpins of a defensive roster. So I can see why people are panicking. I can understand it. And I think it's definitely fair because we've gotten used to the chiefs treating every year. Like they're looking to contend for a super bowl. Honestly, with the moves they've made and the justification for Tyree kill was, Oh, it gives us a lot of cap relief. Well, they're not using it this year. So no, far you're right. At least not to the extent that they could. And so honestly, I'm getting more and more the feeling that they are resetting for 2023. And that's going to be a hard pill to swallow because they are a team that can contend every year. And Travis Kelsey ain't getting any younger. Well, yeah, let me let me pick at that then, because if if you're if you're nearing the acceptance stage of what the plan for 2022 is, like you said, it's not just it's not just a year of Travis Kelsey, but it's also a year of Patrick Mahomes's prime. It's it's also, you know, this offensive line they've built. It's largely pretty young. But if everything you do to get to having a, a year of contention, you, you just sort of let a year of that toll if you don't feel like that's the if you're I don't want to say they don't feel like they could contend in 2022 because they do still have Patrick Mahomes like obviously they will right but if the main target for years now the target has been this year whatever that year was it has been in 2022 yep. that in 2020 the target was 2020 in 2021 the target was 2021 but if the target today is 2023 they'll win a lot of games they should still be a playoff team they're gonna have some holes to fill but we'll see but that that is a very out of character thing, not just for this Chiefs team to do, but really for I think most teams with an elite quarterback aren't aren't allowing quite that impact. And like I don't I don't know how much of it is necessary. Maybe that's the thing. Like, hey, well, you you can't you can't do the thing you've done in years past where you just make sure you've got adults starting in every position, and then your draft picks aren't desperation plays. <laughs> it. I don't know. It's I like that. I, You've got adults starting. I've been using that a lot lately. I've just just grown adults that are playing in some of these positions. As someone who does enjoy the two or three year plan, right? Like someone who can look look at the the run it back campaign and understood it, but wondered if that would ever bring a time where you needed to do more of a, a retooling. Who someone who doesn't love trading your first round picks every year. It's. Getting to this point, if this is what 2022 ends up looking like, 
like you said, I mean, that's a, that's a hard pill to swallow. And also something that I'm not sure I'm comfortable, like, just saying is a product of the NFL. Like, I don't, I don't if you have Patrick Mahomes, I don't think you should have to have reset years, if, if that seems, if that, if that makes sense. I don't know if that's reasonable or not, but it, it's kind of where I'm at right now. It, it leaves a really bad taste in my mouth. I completely agree. Um, it, and so it, it's, it's tough because a lot of the prevailing wisdom seems to be that you want to set yourself up in a way that you are the best suited to contend over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a tough thing to argue with, right? Of course you want to do so. However, I'm not sure if I believe that you always have to do that necessarily at the expense of competing in any one given year and take into its absurdity. Um, that argument could be a good argument for rarely contending because you're always only thinking about the next five years rather than the next one or two years. Mm-hmm. So you got to find a balance to that. I, I I would be very curious what the meetings are like right now um, yeah. with Spagnolo. Mm. Um, because last year for a while there, he was getting some, some, some talk as maybe one of the best coordinators in the league, you know, maybe winning an award and then things kind of fell apart to an extent. Although not all necessarily, it's so funny the nature of the conversations we're having. If Patrick Mahomes doesn't play a really, for him, bad half of football, not even for him. If he doesn't play a bad half of football, the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl for the third straight year. Yeah. And is that necessarily on the defense? Could the defense have played better? Sure, absolutely. But, you know, the offense, had it done much of anything in that second half? I mean, they had multiple chances to win that game and they just didn't do it. And that's just somehow it, the way it is. You know, sometimes that's what happens. You just don't win. And that is a new reality for Chiefs fans. Like, oh, wait, they can fail. They can, you know, have things go poorly. It's a new and old I, reality. It's a new old reality. It's and a I reboot. kind of, yeah. And I kind of wonder if uh, the, if, if we've kind of gotten used to how things have been since 2018, you know, the high of the Super Bowl, because I see a lot of fans kind of going back to, yep, same old Chiefs. It's like, look, no, it's not. No. You, 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 come on. Like, this is, we, we got to experience a Super Bowl. We've gotten to experience multiple AFC championships. This is a very different thing. It's just a matter of what they can do to continue it. And right now, this does not feel like, like you said, it's not a, we are going to do everything we can to contend this year. Yeah. It looks more like we're thinking about, 2023 and beyond and maybe they've had some tough internal conversations about the state of the roster and they said look we've swung and missed on some stuff um you know had had the clark trade hit and he played at a level that they thought he would this team looks very different Mm -hmm. if sammy watkins plays at the level they thought he did he probably has a new contract here in kansas city right now yeah um and he's their wide receiver one with hill departing and now, now, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, when you miss on some big, big swings, it's going to hurt you long term. And that's one argument why I know some people that I really respect make for not necessarily taking those big swings. Mm-hmm. But for signing, you know, mid-level guys and building almost exclusively through the draft and only signing, you know, re-signing your guys to top tier, mark, you know, market deals when you know that they're really, really, really great. I don't know what they're going to do. And that's, I, I, again, like my angst that you're, man, I hope someone didn't tune in home. Hey, Seth's really optimistic. He's going to make us feel better. I oh, think, man, yeah. I, I think, I mean, you know, there's a reason Vegas still has the Chiefs is winning the AFC West and one of the favorites to win the Super Bowl. They still have a really, really great offense. 
it's just going to be a matter of how much does it affect. I was actually talking to Ryan about this. Uh, Ryan Tracy, that is, RGR Football. Go, Ryan. You rule. Um, this is an interesting year for both the Chiefs and the Packers. Mm. For all of the NFL also to really look at how important a great wide receiver is. Yeah. Because let's say both the Chiefs and the Packers take a huge step back on offense. Then that's, just, oh, okay, wow. This is because they've got Rodgers, they've got Mahomes, they, all, they do have some other weapons, all that stuff. You know, Mahomes in particular has Kelsey. Let's say they take a big step back. Then we know, okay, this new boom in wide receiver contracts, it's justified. Yeah. But let's say, what if the Chiefs offense is about the same as it was last year? Then if that's the if that happens, is there ever a case to pay a wide receiver a top end of the market deal? <laughs> right. We can and either see quarterbacks at least. We can either see receivers start getting paid even more like quarterbacks or they become running backs very quickly. Like there like there really is a, a needle that could move there. Maybe not for the whole league, but at least for the Packers and Chiefs. I think that's super interesting. Yeah. I it'll it'll be it'll be weird to see. Uh, it'll be interesting to watch. It's something to be to keep an eye on the whole year. One thing that's gonna happen though is that people are very invested in their their thoughts on these things. Mm. And so basically from week one on, all we're going to see is, um, all, all we're, sorry, <laughs> one of my coworkers is leaving. She just, she mouthed happy Easter at me. Happy Easter, Kay. I knew, I knew for sure. Um, I could hear this and maybe I've just done, I've done a lot of radio. I've done a lot of podcasts. I've done a lot of radio and podcasts with you. I could tell that someone walked by and at least waved at you. Like I, I could tell <laughs> that somebody was interacting with you on some level. I would have bet money on it. I, to be clear, just so everyone knows, we don't see each other when we record these. Like we, we no. could, but we would, uh, we would absolutely never. It just seems like it would. I think that would ruin the whole vibe here. Um, it would be so. It would be so disorienting for me to watch Seth tweet while I was monologuing. Like I would just get so undercut by that that I, I don't think we can afford to to risk that. But I could hear that happening in the background. Right. And you and I talk way too often because there's very few, most people I can vamp when I'm talking to them. Uh-huh. But like Jazz can hear it when I'm when I'm checking out. My older sisters can hear it. Maybe my parents. And then there's you. So that's <laughs> it's a, it's a short list of people that can hear me checking out or like just momentarily getting distracted. Yeah. Um, it's still there's a lot there's a lot of that Venn diagram that your wife and I keep just being overlapped <laughs> on in these episodes we keep talking about. I don't no, know, it, it's it's concerning. Yeah, you think it's concerning for you? <laughs> <laughs> so the the biggest thing with this season that's going to be a bummer for me, and, and we'll see how the Chiefs do. I have no idea. Maybe they crush the draft. Maybe they don't. Even if they don't, they're still a team capable of winning 12, 13 games pretty easily, regardless of what people are saying. That just is what it is. The, the tough thing for me, and this has been more and more lately, honestly, the longer I do this job, is how much time and energy is spent in people um, shit, talking about how each single thing that happens, no matter what the thing is, proves that they were right. Yeah, yeah. And that, it's not about talking about what happened. It's talking about why what happened shows that they were right about some, some prior. Yeah. And you're, we're going to see a lot of that with the Tyree Kill trade. Let's say the Chiefs come out week one. And play like a really great new kind of, you know, like maybe a little more back to West Coast Roots mm-hmm. game. MVS has some, you know, 50-yard touchdown on a bomb. Juju plays well. What other wide receiver they get? You know what I mean? They win by 20. People are going to come out and just out of the wood. Oh, I thought it was a terrible idea to trade Tyreek Hill. I thought it was. 
or the Chiefs come out and they lose week one and people are going to come out and be like, oh, I thought they were going to be fine without Tyreek. And that, yeah, yes. that's how you sound when you do that. Yes. I'm sorry, people. And I've done it too. So it's not like, I'm surprised you haven't pointed out my hypocrisy yet, Josh. You're slipping. No, no, because on this, on this case, it would also require me pointing out my own hypocrisy and I don't oh, enjoy yeah, that nearly gross. as much. Yeah, no, that's no fun. And so it's going to be an interesting study in what an elite wide receiver means to an offense, because what they've done is they've taken, they've taken Tyreek Hill out and they've put in a pair of competent, but um, niche players Mm -hmm. in Juju Smith-Schuster, unless Smith-Schuster goes back to like how he played as a rookie in his second year. Maybe he does. I don't know. And then MVS, those, those are niche guys. They are, they are decent receivers, but they're not the same thing. They're 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 testing out some theories, and with the defense, I don't know what they're doing. So that again, that's a long road to a short thought. That I genuinely, it feels like they're resetting this year, and they're resetting in a way that's different than every other year of the Mahomes era. Yeah, you call you call them niche receivers. I think this you sound like a Nietzsche podcaster right now because absolutely nothing matters. I mean, this is just God is dead is basically the take you have given on the Chiefs right now. <laughs> talk about niches. <laughs> It's a little philosophy joke for you. Yes, hope, yes. Hope everybody, was... Welcome to Time Zars, everybody. I uh, I did read Mike Schur's book and, uh, you know, got some philosopher names in my brain now. You know, well, yeah, we, I'll tell you what, you, you, you go with, you go with Nietzsche and I'm wishing people happy good Friday. We got a whole, <laughs> we're, we're all over the spectrum on this podcast. You, but you said, you said Mahomes, you said not God is dead. You said Mahomes is dead basically is what I heard. And <laughs> I, I'm out I mean, here, tomato, tomato. I, right. I mean, I'm, I'm out here trying to, trying to keep the dreams alive. Uh, I, uh, I feel like we've picked very different, very different stances on, on everything today. Apparently I definitely am afraid that people are going to walk out of this discouraged. I'm deaf. I, I, we don't know what it's going to look like. We, I'm curious. It is scary. There's a complete unknown every other year from, we didn't know what things were going to look like so much in 2018, but we had a good idea. Yeah, we had it, seen it was a fun not knowing. Yeah, it was a fun not knowing, right? It was a Christmas first time under the tree. Yes, that was a fun not knowing. 2019, we didn't know what the defense would look like, but it was a fun not knowing because we knew it couldn't be worse. <laughs> 2020, we knew what it would look like. 2021, we knew mostly what it would look like, but with the offensive line being like the one exception. Mm-hmm. This year. It's not a fun not knowing. It would be a fun not knowing had they, you know, traded for Daniel Hunter and had they, you know, signed Gilmore and, you know, snagged another safety. And, you know, now they were, you know what I mean? Like they were doing things to where it's like, wow, it's unknown, but it's an exciting unknown. You know, let's, and that's, maybe it'll be back to being an exciting unknown once the draft is over. Maybe because what will happen is because they have so many picks, I've actually looked at this a little bit. Teams that have a ton of draft picks, mm-hmm. generally speaking, get praised a ton after the draft. Um, Which is and, the whole point. Yeah. And it really is one of those things where it's like, well, of course, they're viewed as having a really great draft. They had five more picks than anyone else. Right. Yes. And so they're bound to pick more players that the draft media. And I'm not like this is an anti-media take. I know. I guess I'm media. But it's, yeah. you know, draft media is a thing. If you pick guys that draft media likes, you are going to get praised by draft media. And that's not like it's propaganda. Of course, I'm going to say, wow, they took guys I like. I think that's a good draft. 
But that's, that's also that's even, that's going to be true in reality later, though, as well. Like at least in I don't know about every individual situation, but in big picture situ- situations, teams that are able to try their ten best shots instead of their six best shots, right, are statistically more likely to get good players from that group. Absolutely, and that's one of the reasons why it's good to di- diversify your draft picks, and especially for the Chiefs, you know, because that that argument can reach an absurd point where it's like, well, we have eight fifth round picks, almost no one cares about that. Yes. But when you have two firsts, two seconds, and two thirds, do they have two fourths? And no, two fourths. Don't. Yes, they do. They have two eight, fourths, too? Eight, eight. So this, um, you walked me right up to my my biggest, most annoying Ooh. take from this week. Uh, and I, I eventually I want to cite, and people need to go read this also, just go read Nate's story for his own words up in The Athletic, looking at what the Chiefs might do in terms of moving up. One thing that has become a pet peeve for me very quickly this draft season is you go, well, the Chiefs have 12 picks. Well, listen, timeout. They've got eight picks and then four undrafted free agent jump the line cards like just right. just think of it that way because that's really the case and the eight picks they have super valuable if, if they move up and again nate was kind of writing some about some of the move up math if they move up from 29 to 21 or 22 for their favorite of the receivers who we'll talk about in a little bit because that's been reviewing all of these guys that's that's one thing if it's for their their the ryan poles pick as you call it right that that's something but if you all of a sudden, you just can't help yourself and you package 29 and 30 to go get up to 12 and then you package your second round picks to move back up to 35 and then you package your third. Well, now all of a sudden, it, first of all, it's not a problem to have all of these picks, right? It's like, oh, they, they you know, got to carry all these guys on the roster. They always sign the undrafted free agents as well. They just they just get to jump the line on the free agency, the post-draft undrafted free agency stuff. But the, 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 the point of the Tyreek Hill trade I hope, I hope wasn't let's get more picks so we can then consolidate those picks and then just put all of our eggs in these three or four baskets. But I hope it's that ability to diversify your choices, bring in more players, revitalize the whole depth chart at a bunch of different levels and get some, again, one, I'm going to get the numbers for one of the moves the Chiefs could make and then still keep a bunch of picks behind them. But like, I, I I hate the idea that the Chiefs have somehow created a problem for themselves by having eight picks in the first four rounds. Yeah, that's a weird take to me, because if I look at the um, if I look at the roster, I see eight spots. Yes. Easily. Easily. Um, And so I that I've never really agreed with that methodology of looking at things like i understand you know look opinions can vary as dalton would say that's a roadhouse reference josh wow it's a it's a a great crazy for swayze movie um but they they have the they've got the roster space for these guys they absolutely do i just i i think they have an opportunity here and i like the way you kind of framed it to do things differently they can they, they, they don't have to put all their eggs into one basket. And they also, because eight picks in the first four rounds is crazy valuable, like you said. Yeah. It would be nice if, if like, one of those first-round picks was, like, in the teens. Mm-hmm. But it is what it is. When you have an extra pick in each of those rounds, it also gives you the ability to di- diversify your approach. Mm. You can trade up one time. Yes. And point. still take a shotgun approach. Yes. You really, because, and those, the, the only way, like, other than the seventh round picks being valuable to, like, you know, jump ahead for undrafted free agents, which by the time, my understanding is by the time guys are getting drafted in the seventh round, they're kind of hoping they don't get drafted. Mm-hmm. 
because then they can pick their spot and all that fun stuff. But the other valuable part of those, and again, they're late seventh round picks. They're really not that valuable, but they can work as filler Mm -hmm. to where we, we traded our third round pick and our seventh round pick. The value of the number of syllables at the end of that sentence and our seventh round pick and a seventh round pick. That actually helps with trades because people are very easy to manipulate. Mm. And like when I hear, oh, we traded for their third round pick and their seventh round pick, that sounds a lot better than their third round pick. Right. And it's purely an issue of syllables. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's it. But so there's some value in that. That gives the Chiefs a little bit of ammo in like, or like in the fifth round or whatever. Okay, well, we're going to trade three of our seventh round picks to grab a fifth round pick because then you can get some valuation differences, whatever, right? There's value in that. And they can really diversify their whole approach. They could trade all over the place. They could trade up to grab, I don't know, Drake London, who, you know, he, you know, to continue something we were doing on almost entirely sports. Yeah. He didn't run his 40 today. And so, I mean, I've heard it's because he thought he would run a 9.5. That's exactly what my sources, my hashtag sources have said the exact same thing. Yep. Um, some some people are wondering if he even likes to run, which is like, yep. you know, I mean, if you don't, if you love to run, you'd probably run your 40. So I, I think that those are character concerns that should drop him until at least I would say pick 29, maybe even pick 30. Yeah, I think I think definitely pick 29 or pick 30. I've also heard that what he's trying to do is a new thing where he speed walks through his routes. Yeah. Instead of instead of running. And while that might give him more maneuverability, I just don't know if it's sustainable. Yeah, I mean, that's, and again, you'd have to think, you know, is he coachable? I don't know the answer to that question, of course, but that's a question that I can ask without getting in any sort of trouble. Yeah. So the answer could you, be yes, but it could yeah. be no. Is there any reason to think one way or another. Mm, great not question, really, Seth. but I mean, you can't prove that he's not. And you can, can you prove to me that Drake London's coachable, Josh? Can you prove it? I, you know, I simply can't. I yeah. simply can't. And I think that's worrisome. I mean, is there a reason it's worrisome? Can you prove that it's not worrisome? Hey, Seth, can you prove to me right now that Drake London and Jamison Williams both have both of their hands at this current moment in time? I, I couldn't prove it to you. I can't you, prove it to gun you. Gun to my head. I couldn't prove it to you. I could not. I would fail to be able to prove it to you. So anyway, <laughs> no, man, I mean, I honestly, honestly, if I was a team, I don't know if I was a team outside of the AFC West or a team that doesn't wear red, both of those guys wore red also in college, Jameson Williams. And uh, so did George Pickens for that matter. I, yeah. I've heard that. I mean, I'm wondering, I don't know. I can't say I've heard. I'm wondering if any of those three guys would even agree to play for a team that doesn't have red uniforms. Yeah. I mean, it's worth noting, if nothing it's, else. It's, I mean, it's clearly worth noting. Yeah, worth. It, it, it's it's just worth noting that, you know, Drake London caught a bunch of contested passes. I mean, does that mean he can't get separation? I can't Great say question. it doesn't mean that. It doesn't not, maybe not mean that. You know, one See, other now thing, we've gone down a rabbit hole. Man, one, I want that. I'm sorry, I've got to break character. Man, I would, if they draft Drake London. Oh, we're going to talk about it. it. Oh, we're going to talk about it. We're going to get right, right there. We're going to, that's the next place we're going. I do just want to make the point to you that my hashtag sources are telling me that no one else, no one has, is hearing anything from this point on in the podcast because everybody just went, I'll come back when Nate comes back and then turn yeah. and then hit pause. <laughs> uh, well, that assumes we didn't lose like half the people like, oh, there's no one here that's going to give us actual news. Because <clears throat> I'm curious, I'm curious what the, the Gilmore stuff is. Yeah. And just on a, a quick note before we go dive into the draft, because that is a lot more fun. Yes. Um, there's a lot of I, I've really liked a lot of the receivers I've looked at so far. Mm-hmm. That's really great news. It's a really deep defensive edge draft. That's that's good news. There's good defensive players in the draft. We'll see how they do, whatever. But 
when you trade Tyreek Hill and you get cap space and then you're like, eh, that's frustrating a little yes. bit. Because yes. they really, they could have signed Gilmore. Now, I haven't even seen what the deal is, but he played well last year. Could have signed him to a couple-year deal. And then you can draft a few young corners, but you're not desperate. And I hate going into the draft desperate. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with literally 100% of that. Here's here's one little cross-promo that I'll do before we get to the receivers. Talking about um, the, the depth of the draft and then also the difference between a priority free agent and a seventh-round pick and all of that. Last night on Almost Entirely Sports, we talked to James Houston. He he spent four years in Florida as mostly recruited there as a linebacker, went to Jackson State for his last year, played with Deion Sanders. Deion Sanders sold him on a move to edge and kind of the, the Micah Parsons role. He had a great year at Jackson State. Dane Brugler has him being a, a priority free agent, just missing kind of that seventh round cutoff in his beast draft guide. Um, he was one of the Chiefs' top 30 visits, though, which is the specifics of why we had him on the show last night. Because uh, the Chiefs are apparently intrigued enough to say, hey, we, we want to get to know you and what you can do and presumably look at the fact that he's played literally like just about everywhere you can play in the front seven. Um, so he was interesting. It was, a, it was a good chunk of radio, if I may say so myself. And also, uh, I think it would be fun for people to have a, a rooting interest into uh, into the seventh round and maybe even the undrafted free agent section of the uh, uh, of the, the draft process. So. Uh, if you want to, uh, if you want to root for the Chiefs to get another Jay Houston who could r- maybe rush off the edge a little bit, maybe we see if Willie Gay can switch up his number, give him number fifty, and and you can uh, you can break out some old uh, some old Houston fifty jerseys out of your closet if you'd like. There you uh, go. There's my little cross promo. So rooting for James Houston to Kansas City would be fun. Also at this on. point, you know, um, if he does, he also said that if if the Chiefs do bring him in, that he will tell me one of the Deion Sanders stories that he he politely declined to tell last night. So that's oh. also. <laughs> It's Come also, on, Brett, you got to do it for the he, content. For the content, man. It's I mean, a just, seventh round pick, Brett. And I like, look, you could draft me with that and no one would care. Here's well, the thing people, also. They would, people care, would care if you drafted me. But also, like, he legit played everywhere in college and would be a menace on special teams, I think. And I actually, like, I talked myself into it in zero seconds flat. Seems yeah, like, I like it. Seems like a very Chiefs, very Dave Tobe friendly pick, I would, I would say. So keep, keep an eye out. Um, back to the current state of the depth chart, Seth. I want to play a quick game. This is unofficial, but I'm on our, uh, our lads.com. They, they do a pretty good job of updating their depth chart. So it's just, it's just a site I use all the time looking at, at Chiefs depth chart stuff. Three starting receivers listed are Juju Smith-Schuster, McCole Hardman, and Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Would you like to guess who the three listed backups are at those three positions? No. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, no, I don't want to. Okay, well, I'll just tell you then. Um, it is Josh Gordon, who I believe is, you know, he, yep. he signed like a sort of an exclusive uh, offer contract. Uh, it is Cornell Powell, who is on the practice squad. And it's Garrick Dieter, who is also on the practice squad. Corey Coleman was brought in this offseason as well. Um, it is a shallow group. Some could say at this point, with all due respect to those three gentlemen, love to have them, love to see them have an excellent season. But it's also a, a group that seems to be missing a number one wide receiver. And so that, fittingly, is where you started your Know Your Chiefs Draft Crush series up in the Chief of the North newsletter. Uh, yes. You have already taken a look at Traylon Burks, at Drake London, at Chris Olave, Christian Watson, and most recently, Jamison Williams and Jahan Dotson. Um, I, I don't I don't know how we're going to sort of sift through that. I know I, I actually I do know what your kind of big picture takeaway is to this point. You have not walked away with uh, with a, a disdain for any of these players, if I may say so myself. 
You may say so yourself, and it's accurate. Um, that's been encouraging to go through six players and and not even because I haven't gone through all the guys that are projected to be first round picks at this point. I, I've still um, I've got Garrett Wilson still, and he's next. Next, I'm going to try to do three guys in one article. We'll see how that goes. Um, it's going to be Garrett Wilson and Calvin Austin and um, who's the other guy? I don't, oh, Pickens, George Pickens. Yeah, Pickens. I'm excited for the Pickens one. I, I'm excited for Sky Moore as well. He's another yeah. guy. And so I, I tried to stick with, you know, kind of first and second round projected type guys. Um, and I haven't found a single guy that if the Chiefs drafted him, depending on how it went about, I'd be like, oh, crap. Like even the at, guys at that I've 29-30, is that fair? Like to say if they stay put in the first? Yeah, I think like there's a few like if they took Dotson at twenty nine thirty, mm-hmm. I'd say eh. um, Traylon Burks, I'd be hesitant on just because mm-hmm. I'm not sure how his skill set translates given his lack of of quickness. Mm-hmm. Um, but he wins in some other really important ways. Everyone else that I've looked at, if they took at twenty nine thirty, I'd be happy. If they traded up a little bit to grab Drake London or Jamison Williams, I'd be thrilled. Or Chris Olave. Like, so, I mean, there's, there's three guys there that I'm like, yeah, I, I, I really, really, really see it, mm. um, in terms of like, a, an instant impact an instant fit and helping alter the offense. Um, and so, I mean, I, I'm, I'm ready to talk about any of them. They are, they are a fun group, but it's also, you know, one of those things where they, they there's just so many options. There's so many directions they could go. So I, but I mean, of my favorite, I would say, and this has surprised me. Chris Olave was built in a lab to be in an Andy Reid offense. Right. Jamison Williams is the closest thing to Tyree Kill in this draft. Hmm. Um, but my favorite is still Drake London. And that's weird for me because I did not expect a like a 6'4 yeah. contested ball guy to be my dude where I'm like, you know what? I'm kind of ready to write a little post-it that says Drake London no matter what. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so let, I asked you about this a little bit on, on AES this week. So I, I presuming a at least largely new audience, I, I want to flip out the same thing kind of in that vein of you're going through this tape. And I imagine that just, uh, this is not my opinion, but this is just me seeing everyone else's opinion. I imagine Garrett Wilson will be on that, on that caliber for you as well of then you would have theoretically four guys that if they moved up for a little bit, you'd be could potentially be excited about a couple guys mm-hmm. that you could see them taking at 29 or 30 and be excited about a couple of guys farther down the list. Like that, the, the class being deep and particularly deep, not in a bunch of guys that are going to go five, eight and nine, but guys who could be going in the late teens, early twenties, whatever I think is, thrilling if you're a Chiefs fan, which presumably mm-hmm. listening to the show you are. It'd be kind of weird if you weren't. Yeah, that would be weird. But here, here's the, the question that I, I want you to expand on a little bit again here. If you're the Chiefs and you see all of these different types of guys, you get somebody who's built in the lab for the Chiefs, somebody who's got crazy physical traits but maybe needs to work on their route running some, you've got contested ball catchers, you, you've got the closest thing to a, 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 a skill set maybe a little bit analogous to Tyreek Hill's, you you have liked a lot of players with different fits and different skill sets. And I'm wondering how you have how you have rationalized all of that, looking with how those different guys might fit with the Chiefs. Like, would you overextend sure. yourself to find someone who you like the fit for more? Or, as you've already hinted towards, would you say, you know what, I didn't expect Drake London to be the guy, but man, I, I also think someone like him or he in particular could do great things in this offense. Right. And with London, it really is a fact of a he in particular because that skill set is so dominant. His ball skills are so dominant. And he also, 
he can separate. It's not, this isn't a Jonathan Baldwin thing where right. all he does is catch, you know, contested stuff. He did have to do a lot of contested stuff because they threw the ball to him like 15 times a game. And his quarterback was YOLOing it a fair amount of the time. Um, but it, because that skill set's so high and he can separate on some other stuff, that it really is kind of about the player there. But it's also when I look at where the Chiefs offense is at right now, I could see them making almost anything work. Um, Tyreek Hill did a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And because he did so much, like, you know, before last year, we would say, well, we got to replace Tyreek Hill, so we need a deep threat. Um, but last year he was largely a possession receiver. Yeah. Um, which is obviously a huge change, but it also showed the Chiefs are willing to kind of move things around and change how their offense operates. Signing MVS and Juju Smith-Schuster, to me, it does indicate maybe another signal change in how things are going to operate on the offensive side of the ball. So for me, almost any skill set could be put in there. One, because you're trying to replace the production of a guy who did everything. Mm-hmm. And two, because they have on the roster, they've got kind of your niche, you know, jet sweep, wide receiver screens, quick slants guy in McCole Hardman, who can serve as a downfield threat at times. Um, but he's mostly, you know, he's mostly that take short stuff, turn it into a big gain guy, right? Mm-hmm. They've got him. They have your short and intermediate possession receiver in Juju Smith-Schuster. They have your deep threat in MVS. You have your niche guys already. And so now it's like, okay, now we need a, a playmaker. And that can look like anything. That can look like a guy who just lives open in, in Chris Olave. That can look like a burner at all levels of the field in Jamison Williams. That can look like an absolute monster um, at the catch point and dominating man on, man-to-man coverages in Drake London. That can look like so many different things that I really don't think they're married to any one particular style of receiver. Mm-hmm. And that's exciting. Yeah. That, that you could plug any of them. Or like, you know, like a Traylon Burks, a guy who's just a monster after the catch. I mean, like, you can see the fit. Um, I, again, with him, he's the one I'm most hesitant about. I'm not sure about his ability to separate at all at the pro level. In the right offense, maybe it doesn't matter that much. You know, maybe he just dominates at the catch point and then the other six or seven targets he gets per game, you know, for 10 total, maybe those are a little more manufactured and he does more with them than most guys would. Fair enough. Um, You can win at the NFL level that way. So I I think that they really don't need anything like say like Jahan Dotson. He's one that's interesting to me because I view him as kind of like a Juju Smith-Schuster role. Hmm. And so I'm not sure if he fits in. Right yeah. out of the gate. Just be- because of redundancy, not because of his real skill set, right? Like right, because they yeah. got Juju literally. Right. And Juju is, might only be around for a year. And guys who run good routes and know how to get open at the shallow and intermediate levels, it's not like there's like a, you know, it's not like it's like, oh, we've got too many guys that know how to get open on, on right. short and intermediate routes. Like that's, I mean, you don't want your entire receiver core to consist of that, but they do have Hardman. They do have MVS. So it's exciting because you can fit any of those skill sets in there. And I also have no idea what the Chiefs offense is going to look like. It's kind of, I'm nervous about a life without Tyreek Hill, but I am a little bit excited to see what the Chiefs have in mind here. Because I do think you could see a shift change occur in the offense last year. And I think you might see an even bigger one this year. I was I was going to push us back in that direction, actually. I'm so glad you, you, you went there uh, on your own volition because that, to me, is maybe the most interesting big picture story of this offseason. And it's funny, based off the, the doom and gloom that we were sort of sorting through in the first half hour of this show or whatever, 
that the thing you just said makes me excited. Like, not because the Chiefs offense needed a terrible uh, revolution across it all because they, you know, got solved or whatever, but because they're at the point they are now, because they made the decision or maybe had to make the decision with Tyreek Hill, you can splice that however you want. But I, I am interested in what phase two of of the Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid offense looks like. Mm-hmm. You could probably argue that it's like phase three or maybe phase four. But like, I'm you know, era two, certainly. That's exciting and interesting to me. The doom and gloom that we we have been peddling, I feel like, is just that the defense feels totally underdone right now. Like it, it feels, it feels like, it feels like you've baked a pizza and, and it is, it has been in there for 45 minutes and the crust is still doughy. And like, is the oven even on? Like what, what is happening? The cheese isn't even melted. Why is this taking so long? But with, with the offense, like I'm, I'm kind of excited by that. So I mean, you say you don't, you, you, you have no idea what it looks like right now in part because I don't know that this team has its number one wide receiver, certainly not its number one wide receiver in 2023, definitely not on this roster, um, just because Juju's contract doesn't extend through 2023 and Marquez Valdez-Scantling's only kind of does. Yep. But is there something that you find yourself like rooting for? And again, like if, if you want to just make us all fall in love with Drake London, I'm cool with that. But is there is there something that, not that what you would predict, but what you're kind of hoping to see or, or maybe you've seen some pieces come together for? I one thing I would really like to see would be to see them force the offense back into a more vertical attack, which, mm. you know, last year we heard a lot about two high coverages. Yeah. But I mean, the, the other the other team in the league that faces many two high coverages is the Chiefs or the Rams, and they still threw the ball down the field a ton. OK, the, hold on. Let me pause you then. What's different? Well, because that's it. I've not heard any. I've not heard that as an answer yet. I think what was different is that the Rams had multiple legitimate deep threats. And while I like McCole Hardman as a player who does some things really well, I don't think he tracks the ball well enough deep to be a consistent deep threat. And the Chiefs mm. didn't use him like that a ton. And they just stopped sending Hill deep. Like they, it's, it's kind of like they said, well, they're doing this to specifically take away Hill. So rather than trying to continue to go deep with multiple other guys, we are going to alter how we approach things. I think you have a potential if you grab another legitimate deep threat um, I, I think the offense would have looked very different last year. And this is not to say that MVS is like a difference maker necessarily. It's just a different skill set than what they had on the roster. I think they would have responded very differently to all those two high shells hmm. had they had another legitimate deep threat on the roster. So I think that's one thing that I would love to see them do is get more into that continuing to push the ball deep, having multiple deep threats rather than being reliant on on one guy who is admittedly the very best in the league by far. I I would also like to see them lean more on their offensive line and go more to almost returning to a little more West coast roots. You see a little more play action, see a little more bootleg type stuff, see a little more like not necessarily just bootlegs. I'm not even looking for Jake Plummer or anything like that. Oh, that'd be fun. That is Jake Plummer bootleg is the word association quarterback there. Like I, you, you put his name into everyone's mind before you even said it. That's true. That is haunting. I can't believe that worked. <laughs> um, I, I would love to see them return <clears throat> to just a little more similarities to the offense uh, that 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 you've seen Andy Reid operate previously. A little more leaning on the on a, on a really good offensive line. Mm-hmm. A little more leaning on the run game to set up the pass game in a smart way. 
mm-hmm. not in a dumb way. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so I, I would just like to see, and these are all, I mean, basically what I'm saying is a bunch of catchphrases, honestly, but that's the where you're at right now is where you're at the very basic foundational level of the offense is now, okay, the foundation of the offense has been Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, and Travis Kelsey. Now what's the foundation of the offense? Is it Patrick Mahomes and, and Travis Kelsey, and you build everything around that to have two guys stretching the field constantly and let Kelsey and Judy Smith-Schuster operate in the middle? And then that's kind of how you start building out from here on. Do you start building around the fact that you've got a really good run-blocking offensive line? And it's the Ronald Jones signing, kind of a weird one, unless they do intend on running the ball a little bit more because he is a Mm -hmm. ball runner. He is not a blocker. He is not a receiver. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of want to see them almost adapt to what the league itself is trending towards, which is cheating towards the pass. A lot of teams are doing the kind of Fangio constant too high Constant, you know, we're going to dare you to pass the ball on us or to run the ball on us. And we think we can stop it with the guys we have, but we're going to make it really difficult to pass the ball. I think the Chiefs have the horses in place to say, sure, we'll make you pay for that for a quarter. And then you're going to have to shift things up to adjust to us. And then we're going to throw the ball all over the yard with the opportunities we get. It doesn't sound quite as exciting as bombs away, but I think it leads to bombs away once you show you can do it. Yeah, well, so, like, this is, for the people who have listened to this show for a long time and have heard particularly you and I, and not that Nate has ever fought this particular battle, because it's, let's be honest, this is the winning, this is the winning argument, but we have spent a lot of time talking about how every team, and and even the earlier on Chiefs, needed to throw the ball more than they were doing it, like, just about every team. The reason for that isn't because throwing the football in in a complete vacuum is against no defense would be the better way of doing it. The the whole logic of that is that's the thing that defenses don't want you to do. So you should probably do it. They they do not want you to throw the, they don't want you to pick on their linebacker against your tight end. They don't want you to go bombs away when they're trying to make sure you don't run the ball for six yards on first down. If you're at a point now, we talked about this plenty last year also, but if you're at a point now where defenses are having their linebackers on their heels at the snap, because they're worried about what's going behind them, maybe do something in front of them until they yeah. have to adjust for that. <laughs> like, go go ahead and play on that. I, I think about that Bills game where, where Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had a, a big game. I think about that game all the time because mm-hmm. that was a time when the Chiefs did punish that and the Bills didn't adjust very quickly. And, and so you got you got plenty of, of punishment out of that. To your point, though, you do that long enough that eventually defenses go, okay, well, if they're going to run the ball for seven yards of carry, I guess we will put our our base defense back on the field and try to stop it. And then all of a sudden, Marquez Valdez-Scantling scores a 45-yard touchdown that travels 40 yards in the air. And you're like, all right, baby, we're back. Like, right. that that whole logic, for me, the, the captain of the throw the football more fan club, that logic is great. For me, and so it should certainly make sense to everybody who does want to see them run the ball more or maybe a, a more neutral party. Like, I, I just I want to co-sign that as an absolutely delusional um, never run running backs don't matter. Running back should be paid minimum wage type of person, which is what I think most <laughs> people think my take is. Right. And that's yeah, the idea that, you know, it's just that running back skill sets, unless you're Jamal Charles, are interchangeable. Yeah. And there's like been, you know four guys that have the ability of Jamal Charles and I'll die on that hill. And we don't need to go down that. uh, We don't need to go down that rabbit hole today. Although it's more fun to talk about than being scared about the chiefs defense. 
Um, we're right I, at the hour mark. Otherwise, like I could totally just sit back and wait talk about Jamal Charles <laughs> for twenty minutes, and I think everyone would appreciate it. Um, and so I, I think people would too. I, I just I love talking about Jamal Charles, but they have an opportunity to do something different. They have an opportunity to respond to what teams have done, and they've got the the they've got some versatility with what they already have. And that's one reason why I honestly, uh, Ryan and I got into a debate about this last night about what if they have two receivers they love that fall to 29 and 30. What if they do? That would be so funny. And because I think there would be a lot of angst, but I also think a lot of people would say, oh, so they're, they're trying to go for 40 a game. And that's, I, I'm guessing they won't do that. So, I don't think they'll do that. I would be so jacked, though. That would like, be hilarious. What? Just for whatever reason, like let's just make it. Let's make it. Uh, Drake London and Sky Moore, right? Because that's that's possible. Yeah, in just theory, both there at 29 and 30. In theory, a lot of crazy things would have to happen. Not for Sky Moore. I think he'll be available. I haven't looked mm-hmm. at him yet. People I respect really like him. But that that would at least be interesting, and that's why even all, if they don't all do the that, like the top like six edges are gone. Like it just you know yeah. you, 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 the edge you're gonna get there is the same edge you try to get at fifty, right? You're just right. you've waited it out, and they just go bam, bam, one, two. Oh my goodness, I would be insufferable, Seth. As opposed would to be, now, where I'm very sufferable. Well, it would definitely be like okay, we are going to still try to throw the ball all over the yard. It's just how are we going to do it? Because there are there are a ton of concepts in place, even West Coast concepts built to take advantage of too high. And so I'm curious to see what they do next year. That That's exciting to think about what the offense is going to do. So let's just ignore the other side of the ball. I don't see why we can't. They did it in 2018, and I'm not sure why we can't just – all they need to be is bad. If they're not historically bad, they can like, get to the Super Bowl. Like – 28th. <laughs> yeah. Just like 28th. And I just feel bad, honestly. And I know again, we're at I know we're at the hour mark. I know we gotta go. But the player that I feel the worst for in all this on that side of the ball is Chris Jones. Because he's been nothing but fantastic. I was gonna I'll go I'll give a uh, I'll give an honorable mention to Justin Reed, who's gonna get blamed for everything, including oh. stuff that's absolutely not his fault. You know what? At this point, I've been so angsty. I forgot how jacked I was that they added Justin Reed. I, I, I like think him he's a, a good safety. Yeah. Um, maybe. And you know what? What would be so funny is I'm so sure of myself with the problems on the defensive side of the ball. It would be so funny if the Chiefs internally were like, no, we think Bolton and Gay are going to be a star linebacker duo and we're building around them and Justin Reed. And they turn out to be just fine next year. I won't quit doing this job because I really enjoy it. But it'll just be one more nail in the coffin of, man, we just never know how things will turn out. But, yeah, I mean, that aside, they do need a defensive end and a cornerback. I, I think they know that. I think I, I do think they know that they need to – they do need an edge rusher. I, I, I would guess. love to – I I'm, what the Chiefs should really do is if they – you know, the NFL is all about making money. Let's be honest. The Chiefs – could sell they 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 force someone to sign a totally binding non-disclosure agreement and you pay to sit down with Brett Veach for 5 minutes and he has to answer your questions like under oath <laughs> I would pay for that oh wow and I think I think a lot of people would too I wonder what the price would be and I wonder what I would ask I have to think <laughs> about that I got a few 
Uh, well, look, so again, obviously Nate wasn't with us here today. Go check out the work he's done so far uh, in this pre-draft process up on The Athletic. You've got mock drafts. You've got trade-up scenarios. You've got an entire staff mock draft. You you have uh, just a number of different angles that, that Nate has taken on this, even just since the last episode of this show. So go read that up on The Athletic. You can read Seth's uh, receiver film review uh, of, of the guys he's gotten to so far. More on the way at the Chief of the North newsletter. That's mnchiefsfan.substack.com. You can also follow all three of us on Twitter at ByNateTaylor, at RealMNChiefsFan, and at JB Briscoe. Also, Seth, because Nate's not here, you get to do the honors of sending us all into our weekend. Uh, that sounds great. And so, like I say, people, it's early. There's a lot of time, sort of. Um, we don't know what things are going to look like until, man, we, we are two months from June. This is just so weird how fast things go by. The Chiefs have a ton of draft capital. It's going to be okay. Eight picks in four rounds. But also, we need a defensive end and a corner. 